0: Picture the city, the new Jerusalem, high towers, domes, banners, flags, flowers, sills overflowing with gardens and hung, billowing fabric. The city is packed, the mood triumphant, and on the main road to the palace, the crowd has left a wide space bare for the parade. Here come the cherubim. They land like little mountains descending, huge, polymorphic creatures with the heads of eagles and bulls and lions and wild, winged bodies leading the parade. They are snorting, bellowing, crying, full of the fierce satisfaction of evil overthrown. The lions roar and toss their heads. The eagles shake and fold huge wings. When they land, the ground shakes. There are unknown creatures seen only in rare visions, beautiful, wonderful, creatures of smoke and wind and fire. There are seraphim descending like huge, fantastic ships, and with them, the angels. Their bodies are like human bodies. Their faces are like human faces, but only in the way that every human face is like God's face.
1: I hope that got your attention, friends, because we've got a really very cool treat for you this week and over the next several weeks. That was Blaine Eldridge here with John Eldridge this week and opening up a series that I'll introduce to you in a moment. But before we can go there, before we can partake in some of the goodness, I just want to set us up, as I've been doing for months now. I've been opening the podcast off and on by saying this is a brutal time to be a human being. It's a brutal time on our humanity, and it has to do with the insane pace of life. Everybody's running. It has to do with the complexity of the world now that we're navigating. It has to do with the assault on our attention and the amount of media that is not only coming at us, but that, frankly, we are completely addicted to and spun up in and and then you throw into that just so little margin left to be human, to do the things that, that we enjoy anymore, making a meal. I mean, just the idea of this, enjoying going to the store and choosing ingredients to come home and to enjoy preparing a meal in order to enjoy lingering over that meal with some loved ones. That is now an event. That is something you schedule two to three months out, right? Oh, rather than something that is just good for
0: people to do and that regularly doing it is part of a
1: wonderful life. A human life. Like for thousands of years, gang, that was our normal.
0: Oh, another one would be, I've achieved minor celebrity status in my neighborhood for having firewood if anybody needs it. And the funny thing is, it's exceptional that on something like a regular basis, I chop wood because I enjoy it (laughs) and I find it incredibly enjoyable. And and that has become something you would have to choose to do and you would have to choose to not do many things that have become normal. You'd to have go, to be
1: super intentional.
0: Get some fire and chop it. Yeah. And it's not hard, but it's very enjoyable in the way that a meal yeah. is very fundamentally enjoyable.
1: Yeah. The brutal time to be a human being partly has to do, friends, with the erosion of all that space. The erosion of all that, we could call it margin or just the space to be human, to do things like that. But the brutality on our humanity right now also has to do with the darkness in the world, the war that we are in, the incredible evil rampaging. And so anyone who aligns with Jesus not only finds themselves in the chaos and the frenetic and the pace and the madness and the email backlog and the, you know all that, but they also find themselves in the front lines of this full-on war with darkness. And that's why it's in short, Brutal time to be a human being. What I've also been saying is maturity is not an option. God cares about our humanity. He really does. I mean, to the point of the incarnation.
0: <laughs> right? It ought to be final evidence. You know, yes. it, it
1: ought to be. And it needs to be revisited often to go, oh, yeah, right. You became a human being and you still are, right? Yes. like, And the way he
0: did humanity where it's fascinating to look at a map and we go, Israel is a little corner of the world. But just to go, have you ever looked at a map and seen the tiny little corner of the tiny little corner that Jesus decided was a pretty good space to spend his whole (laughs) life in? And he didn't become human and exceed every human limit. He really embraced them in a way that affirms yes the limitations and the natural patterns of our humanity i mean
1: he could have come at a time at least with like modern dental care you you
0: think so (laughs) right or electricity or air
1: conditioning but
0: or we could have gospels in which jesus is having a dinner with a different important leader every single night yeah but he just doesn't live that way yeah (laughs) not only did he come to an inconvenient time he lived slowly in a time when there was politics, he had that option and instead adopted leisure, spent three days with people, chose to walk. You know, he was poor, but horses were an option.
1: Yeah. So your humanity matters is the point, friends. Your humanity matters. And maturity is not an option. wholeheartedness is not an option, is the way that I've been concluding that opening statement. Because your humanity matters. Because we are in all-out war, because it is savage, the assaults on our humanity, this is an hour to take your humanity all the more seriously and to fight for it and, and defend it. So that's how we've been introducing things of late. Now, most of you have heard us shouting out, get your life back, but this is not a get your life back podcast. Actually, I do want to tell a story, though, that is pertaining to it. Because last night, our family and some friends gathered to celebrate the launch of that book. It was kind of the window that we could finally find. It was a Sunday night. We were able to get the opportunity to have dinner together. And Stacey was trying to frame this isn't just rushing in to have dinner together. This is a stake in the ground. This is an act of defiance. This is a deliberate kingdom choice. And she read a blessing to begin our meal that I want you to read, or at least part of it. Yeah, here goes. To gather joyfully is indeed a serious
0: affair, for feasting and all enjoyments gratefully taken are at their heart acts of war. But the joy of fellowship, and the welcome and comfort of friends, new and old, and the celebration of these blessings of food and drink and conversation and laughter are the true evidence of things eternal and are the first fruits of that great glad joy that is to come.
1: It was such an awesome beginning to the evening because everybody's coming in spun up. Everybody's coming in out of the world. Friends are packing to leave the next day to go out of the country for heaven's sakes. And others of us were coming in out of, you know, some intense things. But to pause and say, this isn't just dinner. And we're not merely gathering to celebrate the the launch of Get Your Life Back. This is This is a kingdom moment. We are pulling heaven to earth. We are pulling the coming feast into this moment. And I really needed it. I really needed it. The, the last week had been really hard and demanding. And in all the ways I just described, it was demanding in an earthly sense and pace and, and lots to do. And it was demanding in a heavenly sense in the war and the darkness. And so I needed a kingdom moment. I needed that. Yes. This... What is the line again? To feast and to celebrate is an act of war.
0: Yes. And the, the blessing concludes, all will be well. Nothing good and right and true will be lost forever. All good things will be restored. Feast and be reminded. Take joy. Let battle be joined. And then everybody raising their glasses joins in, let battle be joined.
1: Yes, yes. It was so good. And it was a rescue. It was a rescue that I needed. So the series that we're introducing has to do with our humanity. It has to do with our poverty. It has to do with our need, but in a particular direction. And it actually began in a conversation on a road trip many, many months ago now. And I forget what got us into the conversation, but we were talking about a particular kind of poverty that seems to be pandemic, even among the people of God. you get got all these indicators out there in the world, you know, the insane, tragic, horrific suicide rates. And then you have the explosion of the need for pharmaceuticals, the anti-anxiety. Medications have absolutely just gone through the roof, sort of antidepressants. And by the way, we believe in those things. Those can be very, very timely helps from God to those in need. I'm not saying anything against that, but the explosion of them is pretty significant. World Health Organization released a report last month adding burnout to the global list of epidemics burnout is an epidemic now are we surprised is anyone surprised
0: i kind of feel relieved that it's earned the designation there's something of a little bit of thank you affirmation that's the word i was looking for in having the health folks step in and say your lives are devastating
1: we're, we're worried about you. Yes, we're, <laughs> we're aware of that and we're concerned. Okay, gang. So all this by way of prologue. So the poverty, the devastation, the need to proclaim these acts of war in celebration, defiance, and, and in something as simple as having a meal together for heaven's sakes, right? Which used to be a normal part of the human experience, but it's been swept away along with so many other things.
0: Yes. And, you know, in view of where we're going, it is important to point out that not only is having a meal difficult, but having a meal as a kind of appetizer of the coming kingdom is something that was very ordinary for the first oh, I don't know, 500 years right. of Christianity. Certainly after, through Augustine and after, like it's at least near the 400s, but going, there was the deep understanding, the centrality of taking communion in the service. It's named the feast. yeah, And it is this foretaste of a feasting that you are looking forward to. Yes. And the fact that if we position a feast that way, it seems a little bit like wishful thinking of oh yeah oh I sure hope so. Yeah. I sure hope this is like the kingdom instead of it being a mainstay of Christian life of Yes. Oh, let's all feast to remind ourselves of what we are looking forward to.
1: Yes. And how wonderful it's going to be, the yes. goodness of it. So, I'm going to set the story a little bit more of where we're going because in the beginning of Get Your Life Back, and again, this actually isn't a Get Your Life Back podcast, but I need to correct something to all of my readers. I need to correct something in chapter one to all of our listeners. Chapter one in the book I opened like this. I'm pretty sure a lion came through in the night. Our horses are live wires this morning racing back and forth across their pasture, necks arched, tails high, snorting, something put them on high alert. My wife and I currently have two horses. One is a paint, sometimes called a pinto, a beautiful brown and white spotted horse with white mane and black tail. If you saw the Western classic Silverado, Kevin Costner wrote a paint in that film. The Plains Indians loved the look of paint so much, they would literally paint their ordinary horses to look spotted. Our other horse is a solid brown bay, black mane and tail, with a coat so rich and glossy it looks like a beaver pelt. We used to have eight ponies altogether, but over time, as our sons moved away, we trimmed our herd down to a more manageable size. Still, sometimes even caring for two feels like more than we've got room for. The book had not even left the printer before that became inaccurate. Right. We lost one of our horses. We actually lost your horse. And that is a heartbreaking story I don't particularly want to go into today. But it's a reminder of the war and a reminder of the world in which we live. We have one horse now which is really, really sad because horses are herd animals and they they need other horses to be happy and to thrive. And I was over at the stables visiting our one horse just the other day and it was hard to even go. You know, it was hard, the, the loss of Kokolo, the paint, and just standing there in whistle stall by himself and trying to comfort him and groom him and kind of love on him a little bit, offer some companionship. And I'm just like, man, life in this moment on the earth is brutal.
0: Yes. And I would add not improving. You know, you say it's hard to go over there. I can't even go over there anymore. And just last week, some friends and I who lost a dear mutual friend were coming back from skiing and it is at its essence a defiant act to do this ski day together and yet on the drive home, one person was reflecting on how weird, was the word used? How weird it is to keep relating when major parts of your life are gone yes and what we really had to push into was yes and that will only increase in this age it's not like they're going to come back
1: yeah so one more story as we're painting a picture and kind of building a case here i was talking to a friend of ransomed heart recently wonderful woman deep follower of Jesus and and an older saint so she's been a deep follower of Jesus for probably more than 50 years and she has entered the phase where she's beginning to lose friends it's just stage of life where some of your high school mates or you know or closer friends begin to pass and we were talking about heaven Although I don't use that phrase. I talk about the coming kingdom because heaven is so draped in so many associations for people. It's almost not a helpful word anymore. So we were talking about the coming kingdom and I was very saddened. I was shocked and saddened because this saint who knows God and has walked for more than 50 years with Jesus, began to say some things like, yeah, but we don't really know what it's going to be like. I mean, we can't really conceive of, you know, like a multi-dimensional existence and, and using language and phrases that I think were meant to sound spiritual. I think they were meant to even sound mature, but it was horrible. It was horrible because bottom line, where she landed was, we don't really know. And I honestly wanted to throw the kitchen table through the window. I wanted to stand up and just start throwing furniture through the glass because it's like, what are you talking about? This is the anchor of your soul. This is the epicenter of your faith. Everything hangs on this. Yes. And you have nothing in that file folder. That journal is completely blank pages for you. Like how? How are you making it? And how are you saying goodbye to people? And how are you handling things like the loss of an incredibly precious horse, or the loss of a friend, or just the monotony of your days? How? How are you handling that? I, I couldn't believe it. I, I was. I was stupefied. And I didn't want to say something shaming, but I did want to scream. Paul in Romans 8 says, in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. (laughs) Wait for it patiently. We don't know how to wait for anything patiently anymore. No. Not seasonal fruit, not movies, Black Friday.
0: Not Black Friday, <laughs> which now starts a month early. How about this one? Not the opening night of movies. I mean, opening night used to mean the night the movie opened, <laughs> right? Yeah, <it> came out <laughs> into the world. There was some integrity with language at some point, I like to think. But if you don't want to wait, you can actually see new movies the day before <laughs> even though it goes, yeah, the movie comes out Saturday, but I'm going to go see it on Friday. There's no waiting joyfully for anything. The act of waiting has been removed from people. and Certainly let alone when it comes to the coming kingdom and the restoration and the future, which I think everybody that I know has had a few conversations, probably in the last year, like I was in a hot tub with a guy. We were at an event and sitting, talking about the gospel, the larger story, and we got to that piece that is the future, and it was so foggy.
1: Exactly.
0: And vague and wispy. And this thing has happened where the pieces of eternity that seem the least like our current moment are the only ones anybody thinks about. Where It goes forever. What is forever? Or the presence (laughs) of God. What is the presence of God? It's just a problem when beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, the moment after this one is always described in concrete images, so concrete that you pointed out elsewhere, Jesus doesn't have to do very much work when he's talking about the coming kingdom because his Jewish audience has the rich, repository yes. Yes. of stories and images and expectations right. that he can just refer to and then make another point.
1: Yeah. Isaiah, on this mountain, I will prepare a feast. Oh. The, and he goes on, of the finest meats and aged wines. Right. He actually gets very descriptive of it so that when Jesus starts quoting the feast imagery and in, in saying, when the kingdom comes, they will come from the north and the south and they will sit down with Abraham. At the great feast, right? Yes. And there are those who will not be allowed into the feast. Well, they, they had all sorts of concrete expectations around that. And so the poverty of our hour, dear friends, is that in this moment, when hope is most needed, in this moment with having a thrilling, growing, passionate expectation of what is about to unfold, is gone it's lost, even to people who have walked with God for decades. It, it These are empty file folders. I'm just shocked at the number of people for whom, oh yeah, it's going to be awesome. Tell me like what? Well, uh, you know, Jesus will be there. Doing what? Well, what will you do with Jesus? I I guess like talk and like it's, yes. you push into it a little bit and it's very, very vacuous. And so Blaine and I were on a road trip uh, several months ago, and we were talking about the crisis. The crisis is not theology. The crisis is imagination. The crisis is that we do not have really exciting images, stories, narratives, pictures, right, in our hearts filling a journal, Filling a file folder, right? Filling volumes in our soul of what it means to hope in the coming kingdom, what it means to hope in the return of Jesus.
0: Yes, which is concerning when hoping in anything is always dependent on particular details. And part of that conversation was going, if I'm trying to convince a friend to go to a restaurant, the way that I do that is go, oh, it's so cool. You walk in and there's a concrete bar that goes all the way back and the tables are on the side and they took wood from a bowling alley and this local carpenter made them into these reclaimed tables and the vibe and I paint a picture that is desirable. Exactly. And then the person wants to go there. Yes. But the things that are hardest to sign up for are things for which you have no Associations, yeah. You know, I get this all the time. I would say with mountain biking, for which I am an evangelist and try most often to like get people to try it. But it's really hard with no experiences that frame how wonderful it is, and right. go, well, "Have you ever been hiking?" No. Oh man. Do you remember when you were a kid and you had a bike? Yeah, and well, kinda, and go, "Oh, how do I, how do I frame for you?" how awesome this is in concrete things that you understand and actually are built to want.
1: Yes. Okay, so just trying to connect some dots here. The assault on our humanity. It's total war, gang. It's total war. Now, every part of your humanity is under assault, including hope, including a solid expectation of your future, and including a deep confidence that wonderful, wonderful things are about to unfold for you. So back to the stables for a moment. I groomed Whistle, fed him, and then just stood there for a while. I was just leaning against the rough wood of the stable and letting him eat and just saying, Father, I don't know what to do with this. What do we do? And he said, John, everything. that's all he needed to say because I knew what he meant by the rest of it. It's all coming back, every bit. And I needed to be reminded of it. And I I said, everything? Like our horses, the lost time, the lost memories, everything stolen? And he just said, John, everything. And the difference that made standing in the stable with the one last horse we have who is also injured, who he can't ride, who is alone friends like we got to fight for our humanity and we got to fight for our souls and we got to fight against the loss and we got to fight against the war and like that feast that we had to celebrate get your life back coming out a defiant an act of war to feast and declare that all will be well that's what's needed so this was this was the prologue to the road trip, the conversation, the loss of imagination. And you went home after that road trip and you wrote something about the return of Jesus. And I want you to read that to our listeners.
0: Yeah, and almost more than wrote something, what I first did is take time to concretely picture something and begin layering together the images of the coronation of Jesus that unfortunately, in the book of Revelation, metaphor is at its height. And so where we actually get the one Integris picture of the coronation of Jesus, it's really hard to understand., yes. but it builds across the story. yes. And so all this is is a survey of the images like the ones in Isaiah that you mentioned earlier of the coming kingdom and a particular moment in that kingdom then entered into and written about.
1: So here goes. Here we go.
0: How do you picture the entry into the new Jerusalem? It is an event Paul anticipated that stunning moment when all of us, he said are caught up in the air like the people of a liberated city rushing out to take part in the victory parade. And it is a military parade. This is not a crowd of holiday revelers. This is the liberating army of heaven itself, the full martial force of God, holy, sanctified, right. The tone is more than exultation; It is the forceful, jubilant, vindicated relief of the innocent and right in every contested case. It is like pride if it were not full of worship. It would be like fury if its force were not so wholly loving. Picture the city, the new Jerusalem, high towers, domes, banners, flags, flowers, windowsills overflowing with gardens and hung billowing fabric. The city is packed, the mood triumphant. And on the main road to the palace, the crowd has left a wide space bare for the parade. Here come the carabim. They land like little mountains descending, huge polymorphic creatures with the heads of eagles and bulls and lions and wild winged bodies leading the parade. They are snorting, bellowing, crying, full of the fierce satisfaction of evil overthrown. The lions roar and toss their heads. The eagles shake and fold huge wings. When they land, the ground shakes. There are unknown creatures seen only in rare visions, beautiful, wonderful, creatures of smoke and wind and fire. There are seraphim descending like huge, fantastic ships, and with them, the angels. Their bodies are like human bodies, their faces are like human faces, but only in the way that every human face is like God's face. Their motions are strong and sure and confident, the turn of the wrench the ratchet of the lever action. There is no mistaking it. These are vessels ready to be filled with God's own power. Fay Michael is there, taller even than the city walls. He bends his head to pass the gates, glorious enough that he could be the city's uncontested king. Did he not with his whole being exist to affirm that honor in another? His very name is a question with no answer. Shouted into the abyss, Who is like God? But look, there is Gabriel. There are the angels who crushed the Assyrian army. There are David's allies. And while the procession comes in, there are people in among them. There are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Hagar, and Leah. There is David, who delivered when the rescue of humanity depended on a sword fight. There are Deborah and Gideon, striding together to shake hands as commanders in a common cause. There are warriors with unburdened shoulders. There are good kings, though no nation regarded them. There are the true leaders of the faith, who you recognize without ever hearing their names. Lewis is there. Craig McConnell is there. St. Augustine is there. There are snapping banners and the standards of companies of allies forged in noble cause. You could run laughing into every set of arms. You know the splendor of every face. This is every tribe and tongue, and raising the general noise is the thunder of the chariot, the cry of the horse, the bellow of huge, uncertain creatures vanished long before our chapter in the story began. Adam is there, and every note of glory in his face is Christ. There is no forgetting this is the power of heaven. This is God's mighty right arm. The creatures are coming. Lord of the elk, king of the eagles, the disappeared American lion. Behemoth is there, bears are there. And overhead, a cloud of birds so tremendous, the top is well above the thunderheads. They are all creation, and all creation has called out, and of their own free will, they gladly offer allegiance. And then a shout will go out, starting far outside the city. Dogs yapping, lions sounding out, human, carabic, angelic voices, winged creatures rising in the air for as far as you can see beyond the city walls the cry goes up the word is hallelujah and every other hallelujah is an anticipation of this one note the choir in the church the wind in the branches the roar of victorious armies and the thunder of water and the wordless cry of stars across millennia hallelujah the bell the gong the sudden rush of every brass horn bull elk elephant The drum, the wave, the cry of the mother delivering, the wail, the storm, the sweep of the dancer's leg, rising, 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 hallelujah. Moses, Jeremiah, Deborah, Mary, Peter, Paul, Priscilla, the laughter of young boys, the play of young girls, the feet of the runner in the gasp of sunrise. Every word, exhale, song of each unconquered martyr. It is the elevation of the lowly. It is the aching of the stones. It is the song of creation, proceeding unbroken year after year and now coming to its peak because the gates are swinging wide and you can hear them. Huge wooden gates creaking on new hinges, opening so that the King of glory may come in. Jesus, he will be mounted. The blood-stained steed now washed clean under him. Though he is not tall among the crowd, there is no mistaking him, because here before you is the Son of Man, Cloud Rider, Earthshaker, Son of the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He is desire itself. He is the sacrificial king. Not one opposes him. His face is grave and merry and ageless. You know him from a hundred battles together. You know his face better than you know your spouse, your child, your own. Your eyes were made to look upon this one face. All creation rests on him and no thing encumbers him. At the top of the palace, he gets off his horse and hands off the reins. He mounts the steps. Eternity has waited for this one moment. The mightiest cherubim stand beside the throne. Terrible angels are there as officers. He will nod at each one, shake hands. He will mount the final steps. In the moment you have waited for your whole life, the moment your every dream rests on, your victory, future, your desire when you woke in the night, you will see the crown go up, and when it comes down, the exultation is loud enough to shake the universe, for it lands on his head, and he is king.
1: And I am weeping and so grateful friends, this is a very difficult hour. And I was asking Jesus about that the other day. I said, how do we live in such a time like this? How do you live at the end of the age? How do you navigate that your generation may be, we think is the generation, that this is the imminent return of Christ moment? How do you live In the fight, the assault, the erosion, the isolation, the fear, the doubt, the loss. How do you live at the end of the age? And Jesus said to me, expecting the wonderful. Expecting the wonderful. And so we're starting a series on that. And if I were you, I would rewind this podcast right now and listen again to what Blaine just read because you were figuring it out the first time, and it gets richer every time you hear it. Pass this podcast around, share it with your friends. We need to fill those empty file folders with wonderful expectations, expecting the wonderful. Oh, and friends, before we go, one more thing I'm excited to announce. I am going to start on March 10th, 6 p.m., Facebook Live, a four-week conversation, book study, dialogue, back and forth with you on Get Your Life Back. It's gonna be rich. We've done this before on other books, and it's just been so fun to actually interact, so you'll be able to submit questions and that sort of thing. So, 6 p.m., Mountain Time, on the Ransomed Heart Facebook page, A Facebook Live conversation with me on March 10th about Get Your Life Back.